Good morning, everyone. And in case you don't know who I am, I'm Pastor Alan Duncalf, and we are right uh, almost at the middle of our series on Cross Church Goes Fishing. And for those of you who maybe are not familiar with church, you've never heard that expression before, uh, basically this is what Jesus said to his very first disciples. He says, from now on, you'll be fishing for people. Would you say that with me? From now on, Thank you. From now on, you'll be fishing for people. This is how Jesus began his ministry. But Jesus didn't just begin his ministry with this directive. He actually ends his ministry with the same directive in different words. Some of you understand or know that it's called the Great Commission. So Jesus begins by saying, the very beginning of his ministry, you are going to go fish for people. You're going to go do evangelism. And at the end of his three years or so of ministry, Jesus says, now here's what I want you to do. Now that you've caught all these fish, all these people, what I want you to do is I want you to make disciples out of them. I want to teach, I want, I'm going to teach you over the next three years how to do this. You're going to train people to be followers of Christ. In our youth ministry, we've got some of the most amazing leaders that help us every Friday. We had, uh, we had all the young people over to our house with the leaders. That played, our house was packed. But man, is it ever exciting to see all these leaders show up every Friday night. They could be out doing other things, but here they are devoting their Friday nights to working with our youth. Why are they doing it? Well, there's only one reason, because Jesus said to. Jesus said, go and make disciples. And so here's the thing, folks. Before we can make disciples, we've got to teach them or show people the importance of surrendering their lives to Christ. This is what we call fishing for people. We are introducing people to Christ. And after we've introduced them to Christ, then what we need to do is we need to make disciples out of them. By the way, if some of you have heard of Billy Graham, he devoted his whole life to going and fishing for people. But here's what he realized at the very beginning of his ministry, as, and, and that's this. He says, after people you know, come forward and they say a sinner's prayer, what's next? And he understood that really the easy part was fishing for people. The hard part was teaching people to obey God, to obey everything Jesus commanded. So that's what this series is about this summer. It's all about going fishing for people and then making disciples out of them. Now, for the summer months, we're going to be focusing almost exclusively on that first part of the equation, the fishing for people introducing people to Jesus Christ. Now, as I share that, as I tell you that, I know some of you are thinking, oh, this is, I always dread this in church. I don't like it when the pastor tells us we have to share our faith with people. I don't like that part of witnessing because some of us have, have, uh, have this idea of what witnessing is. Put on, put on a sandwich board and get yourself a megaphone. So here's the good news. Janet Chow has prepared 300 sandwich boards for everybody. <laughs> At the end of the service, pick it up. And we're going to give you a complimentary megaphone. And I want you to go up and down your streets telling people, turn or burn. No, don't do that. <laughs> Sadly, that is, that is so many people's understanding of evangelism. I mean, I love this. I had to throw this in here because it just made me laugh. I mean, can you imagine that that's some people's view of what a church is? It's full of people, first of all, that look like that, and then full of people, full of people that do that. The end is nigh. Does everybody know what nigh means? 
near. That's right. That's King James language. Ye must be cleansed because the end is nigh. Okay, you know what? We're kind of laughing at this. Look at it, but I'm not mocking this in any way. I, I would say that for some people, they've got this ability to, to you know, to do that. And, and you know what? I, I know stories of people who've actually come to Christ because of something like that. But for you, you're saying, but Pastor Allen, that's maybe fine for somebody else, but that is just really not what I can do. And if that's you, that's fine. I'm going to tell you in a few moments what God wants you to do. Uh, nowhere in the scripture does it say, uh, thou must wearest uh, a sandwich board and go stand on the street. It doesn't say that anywhere. This idea of going knocking on doors, it's like, that's, that's good for some people, but it's not good for me. Um, you know, I know of people who are especially gifted at evangelism. There's, there's people that have the ability, they can talk to anybody, and they can get the conversation around, and, and if that person's ready to receive Christ, if anybody's going to lead them to the Lord, it's going to be those people. Uh, a friend of mine in Greece, his name is Andy Papadopoulos, uh, a, a man who's truly gifted at evangelism. Another man by the name of Lawrence Trafford, we had him at our church some years back. Again, very gifted, very able in the area of sharing faith and leading people to Christ. And, and there's, there are others. There's some people in this congregation who are good at that. But for the rest of us who don't have the gift of evangelism, I want you to know that you're not off the hook. Jesus still wants you to be engaged in the work of leading people to Jesus. Now, for some of you, uh, it may be as simple as inviting somebody to church. All you have to do is invite your neighbor to church. You say, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to share anything, but I know how to, I know how to drive a car. I know how to invite somebody. I can drive them to church. Hey, you know what? That's exactly what Andrew did, one of the very first disciples. He just invited Peter to church. Okay, it wasn't to church, but to hear Jesus. It's a starting place. But here's the thing that you and I need to understand is that every one of us who calls himself or herself a follower of Jesus Christ needs to be engaged in the work of sharing your faith, of spreading the gospel in whatever way that you can. There's a, there's a lady who's 100 years old this year. Her name is Mary Craker. She's a member of our church, but she hasn't been able to come to church for years because, frankly, she's, she's getting up there in the years. But you know that she has a website that she's using to spread the gospel around the world? She gets literally tens of thousands of hits, people who are visiting her and talking to her from India, Asia, Hong Kong, all over the world. Because she understands that as a Christian, her job is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ right to the end. Now, let's say she is, a, she is a, a, an anomaly amongst old people. Because there's a lot of people who are my age that don't even know how to use a, a, a laptop or a computer. But here she is. She's got her own website, and she's communicating with people all over the world. I mean, you can just see her at 3 o'clock in the morning, Command Central, set, talking to people in Hong Kong and, and all over the world. Amazing. Why does she do it? Why does she just retire like all old people? Because Jesus Christ has said, you are going to go fish, be fishers of people. You're going to go and win people for Christ. So here's what everybody needs to know today is that God has called you to share your faith with other people. You say, Pastor Allen, I don't know if I can do that. And if that's you today, I'm going to show you what to do. I'm going to, I'm going to help you figure this out. Because I want you to know that, that Jesus wants you. You say, Pastor Allen, you don't know me. I'm, I'm an introvert. So am I. Which, if I can do it, you can do it. 
Pastor Ron, you don't know me. You don't know my, what my character is like. You don't know what, my, you don't know what my, uh, what my struggles are. You don't know the way I function. You don't, you don't know me, Pastor Ron. I don't think I can do this. And I'm telling you today that Jesus calls the most unlikely people to join his team. Jesus calls most unlikely people to be fishers of people. So let me just uh, begin by telling you who he chooses. Um, hey, if I was going to build a team that was going to change the world, if I was going to be uh, a team builder of, of people who were going to start a movement that would transform the world, I would choose the best of the best. I would look for an A team. I would be looking for people who were respectable. I would look for people who uh, had an IQ, who were brilliant. I would look for people who were gifted, who were competent. I would look for people who knew how to manage finances. Maybe I looked for a few people who had finances, who had some money. I would be looking for people that, uh, that really are the cream of the crop. Popular, outgoing, extroverted, wouldn't hurt. Because you would think that these are the people that Jesus would use to change the world. And if you know your Bible, you know where I'm going with this. Hey, you know what Billy Graham, uh, he's an evangelist who died at 99 years of age. He, he really dominated the last century, uh, evangelizing all over the world. They say he's, he, he personally, well not personally, but through his crusades led millions of people to Christ. He used to love to have uh, comedians and and, and actors and singers and politicians and, and sports people, but very, very high-profile celebrities who had given their hearts to Christ. And so the notion or the idea is, is that the, the people that could really share their faith are the celebrities, are the people with money, are the people who had a name, like Johnny Cash. Johnny Cash and Billy Graham were great friends. And I remember hearing people say, you know, man, if, if people could just, if God would just lead Madonna to Christ, if God would somehow, if Madonna could become a Christian, just think of the great good she could do in the world. If, imagine if Elton John became, you know, the, the worship songs he would come up with. Amazing. And that was the notion. It's like, we gotta, God's gotta, God can only use the celebrities and the, and, and the big names of the people with the big money. Jesus does exactly the opposite. He doesn't call anybody with a big name, doesn't call anybody with, uh, with a great reputation, except he did call a few people with a bad reputation. Jesus, what are you doing? Like, well, <laughs> this is not the way to build an A-team. Let me read this to you from Matthew chapter 4. It says, One day, as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon also called Peter and Andrew. And they were throwing a net into the water, for they fished for a living. Hey, Jesus, are you really looking at fishermen to be on your A-team? Jesus called out to them, Come, follow me, and I will show you how to fish for people. And you think, really, is that enough to entice them? Well, verse 20 says, And they left their nets at once and followed him. A little further up the shore, he saw two other fishermen, James and John. And they were sitting in a boat with their father Zebedee, repairing their nets. And he called them to come too. And lo and behold, they immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. 
Let's take a look at these four disciples. How many disciples were there? Everybody knows there were 12, but we're only talking about four, and, and, and just very, very briefly, because I want you to understand that God's idea of an A-team is not our idea of an A-team. In fact, this should give everybody in this room hope that if God could use James and John and Andrew and Peter, then God can use you. Would you tell the person beside you, God can use you? Go ahead, go tell them that. God can use you, that's right. What'd they say? <laughs> yeah, you may be a little bit shocked by that. You thought, man, I, I could see God using someone like Pastor Ellen because he's been to Bible school and he's been a pastor for years, but I don't think God can use me. Hey, I'm gonna tell you something right now. God will use anybody who says, Lord, here am I, use me. God wants to use you the way that he used James, John, Peter, and Andrew. Let's just look at these guys for a minute so you get an idea of what we're talking about. Anybody know James and John? They're called, the, the, this is their nickname, the Sons of Thunder. Now we're not talking about Jimmy and Andrew Thunder. We're, <laughs> they're called the Sons. Like, how do you get a nickname like that? Well, I'll tell you how. So one time, Jesus is out with his disciples, and you know, they're traveling from town to town, city to city, and they're sharing the faith. They're, Jesus is preaching, the kingdom of God is at hand. And Jesus says, look, go ahead of me. This is, you can find this in Luke 9. Go ahead of me and tell them I'm coming. So the disciples think, we're going to do this, because Jesus is a famous teacher in the land. He's healing people. He's doing miracles, that he will be loved and accepted. Right? Wrong. We went to the Samaritans, and the Samaritan says, who's coming to town? Jesus. Who is this Jesus? He's a famous Jewish preacher. Nah, we're not interested. Don't bring him here. We don't want him. We don't want to see him. I don't want to know him. Keep him away from us. James and John now are absolutely livid. They're, they're angry on behalf of the master. They go back to Jesus, and here's what they say to Jesus. This is going to crack you up. He says, ready for this? Hey, Lord, should we call down fire from heaven to burn them up? <laughs> hey. Thankfully, Jesus didn't say, yes, let's do that. <laughs> Flatten the place. But teach those people. No, Jesus actually, Jesus rebuked them. I think they were quite shocked by that. And that Jesus, if Jesus, you know, he wants to advance his kingdom, and people better, better listen up or, or, or else. These are, this is not the kind of evangelist that you want knocking on your door, right? But yet these are the ones Jesus chooses, not only do they not only are they angry, and not only do they have this sense that they want to kill people that don't respond. Imagine having a missions team like that. Kill the ones who don't respond. Wow. Wow. That's harsh. But they're very, very ambitious. And one time when Jesus is with his disciples, James and John, they're, they're talking to their mom and, and their mother being a typical Jewish mother, wanting her sons to rise to the top says to Jesus, hey, um, I have a request. I want, my, I, want, uh, I want James on one side, and I, I want John on the other side of your, when you sit in your throne. I want one on either side. And the other disciples are like, what? 
The, amb- the ambition of these two. This is shocking. And of course, Jesus says, you don't know what you're asking. These guys are ambitious. These guys are impetuant. Impetuous. They're angry. They're, they're fervent. They're, they're overzealous. Let's kill people. And Jesus says, no, that's, that's not what you're going to do. Nevertheless, Jesus says, I can use you. Now think about yourself for a moment. What are you like? Are you kind of an angry person? Are you kind of a shy, maybe you're a shy person like Andrew? That's another disciple that Jesus calls in this passage. What do we know about Andrew? The only thing we know about Andrew is Jesus is that Andrew invited his brother to come and meet Jesus. That's all we know. He's got no resume, no, no great CV. There's nothing there. He's just, here's my brother Peter. Peter, here's Jesus. And then we don't really know too much more about Andrew. And yet somehow God sees that Andrew is a man that he can use. Listen, if you're sitting here today, you're thinking, you know, I'm a shy person. I I don't have any great gifts. I don't think I'm particularly brilliant. Jesus is saying, perfect, I I can use you. Think about that for a moment. Do you think maybe, maybe God can't use you? And I'm saying, oh, yes, he can. And it might be that you have to do just what Andrew did. Just invite your neighbor to church and watch what God will do. And then there's Peter. Well, that, now that's another story altogether. Peter. Hey, do you know Peter? <laughs> Peter rebuked Jesus. Now, who goes around rebuking Jesus? Peter. Jesus says to the disciples, hey, I got to go to Jerusalem and die. And Peter says, no, 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 you don't. You don't have to do that. Who told you that, Jesus? You don't have to do that. But you, can you just see Peter? He's got his arm around Jesus. Like, I got, I, got to just, I got to clue you in, man. You don't know what you're talking about. You're going to be the king. Peter rebuking Jesus. Jesus says, some of you are going to deny me. You're going to reject me. You're going to, and when, the, when the hour comes where I'm going to need people to stand with me, Peter says, well, the others will, but I won't because I'm special. I'm different. I'm the great Peter. And here's what we discover. They're praying in the garden, you know, the night before Jesus goes to the cross. And Peter, thinking, man, I got to stand by Jesus here. He's my master. Whips out the sword, and he lops off somebody's ear. We We got the Roman centurion here. We got, the, we got the, the battalion. I mean, here he's, is, is he really going to start cutting off ears one at a time? I mean, that's going to take all night. And Jesus rebukes Peter and says, Peter, that's not how we function here. What is with these people? James and John want to call fire down from heaven to destroy the Samaritans, and Peter wants to cut off everybody's ear. What, what's going on here? Peter... You remember he said, I'll, I'll, never, I'll never forsake you. I'll never reject you. Jesus, you can count on me no matter what. I, like, all the rest are going to let you down, but I will not let you down. I'm the one that is going to stand firm with you. And Jesus is watching as Jesus is being crucified. And a little girl says, hey, aren't you one of the disciples? That's my best girl voice, Sorry. <laughs> Aren't you one of the disciples? And Peter, now who's been with Jesus for three years every day, right? He actually swears at her, curses at her. 
And you, and you know, like you just sit back and you think, oh no. Give me a image of the angels. Jesus, who did you choose to be your followers? These, these guys are hopeless. That does, he's cursing. But it gets worse. Not only does he curse this little girl, he's a scaredy cat. I mean, the little girl is terrifying him. And even worse than that, remember the vow he made to Jesus? I'll never let you down. I'll never forsake you. What does he do? Forsakes Jesus. Doesn't look very good, does it? This is the A team that's going to change the world? Here, here's what you need to understand. You need to understand something about the power and the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of one who has come and is fully devoted to Jesus Christ. When the power of God came on Pentecost, these men and women, these 120, were so empowered by the Holy Spirit that Peter, who was terrified of a little girl, is now standing up before everybody and he's preaching the gospel and is so effective at preaching the gospel that 3,000 people come to Christ. And by the time you get to chapter 4, the numbers have doubled. And by the time you get to near the end of the book of Acts, we're talking 20,000 people come to Christ. What's happened? God took people like you and me. He empowered us with his spirit, and he said, go get them. And the church was born. A movement was born. Not with superstars, not with the intelligentsia, not with the people with the highest IQ, but people who are willing to follow Jesus. I want the Spirit of God to speak to you right now. Look at this, folks. Look at this. Matthew 4, 20 to 20, verse 20 and 22. We just read this from this passage. I want you to see the reaction time of these disciples. Andrew and Peter. It says, and they left their nets, and what? At once they followed Jesus. And then the same thing with John and James, they what? Immediately followed him. Someone just wrote a book called The Ten Second Rule. Uh, Sean, after the first service, quickly uh, sent it to me via text. And basically, he's saying exactly what I'm saying to you right now. When it comes to being a follower of Jesus Christ, Jesus expects us to respond immediately. No going home to debate it, well, should I or shouldn't I? Should I be on board? Should I not be on board? Should I commit? Should I not? How much should I commit? Look at this. It's immediate. Before you can change your mind, before the devil can get in and give you suggestions of other things that you should do. Here's what you need to understand. If you want to know the power of God at work in your life so that you are effective in his service, you need to understand this principle of immediacy, of urgency. This is why we read in the scripture, today is the acceptable day of salvation. Now is the acceptable time of salvation. Now is the time, today, immediately, at once. You get the language of, the, of this relationship with God. And here's what's going to happen, folks. Listen to me now, because it's going to happen to you this week. I promise everybody here today who is a believer, everybody who calls himself or herself a Christian, here's what's going to happen to you this week. God is going to present you with an opportunity to share your faith. And I'm going to tell you, I'm not saying it's got to be 10 seconds, but it's got to be pretty quick. 
You need to immediately respond to what the Holy Spirit's telling you to do. This, my friends, is the the joy of being a follower of Christ. Listen to this. This is so amazing. As, As Christians who have the Holy Spirit, you will experience and know the supernatural at work in your life. You will actually, through the course of every day, if you want this, if you're open to being a follower of Christ, you will experience God directing you, poking you, channeling you, pushing you, showing you, opening your eyes to see opportunities. I'm gonna tell you, being a Christian is an absolute blast. If you're not having fun, and excitement being a follower of Christ, then you don't get it. You just don't, you just don't get it. And so I'm helping you today to understand what God wants to do with you and through you. God wants to use you, but you have to respond immediately before you give yourself a reason not to respond, because I can guarantee you that will happen. How do I know? Because I've done it many times. Am I proud of that? Absolutely not. But hey, good news, people, your pastor is still growing. I'm still maturing. Are you happy to hear that? Yeah, I'm still growing. And there's still room to go. But here's what you and I need to understand. If you and I are going to follow Jesus, and you and I need to learn what it means to respond instantly to the call of God, respond instantly to the prompting to the prompting to the Holy Spirit. Would you say amen to that? Hey, this is when Christianity gets to be fun. Then we start sharing our stories. Hey, you know this week, this amazing thing happened to me. I'm going to share something with you at the end of the, uh, end of the service. It's just one of the many, many stories that I could tell you right now. The ways that God has worked in my life and through me. For my glory? Absolutely not. But for the glory of God. One of the things that we were just talking about in my office, De- Dennis, we, man, the thing he loves to do is he loves to invite people to church. He loves anybody who's anybody who just shows any kind of an interest. Dennis is all over it like soy sauce on rice. <laughs> and ready to go. Come to you gotta come, you got a problem? Well, you, I got the answer. Come to church. Well, I don't I've never been to that's okay, I'll sit with you. I'll take you for lunch. Come to church. Hey, you know, this simple as that. The Holy Spirit prompts you, the Holy Spirit speaks to you at once, immediate. Don't wait. Don't wait until your mind comes up with a reason not to, not to act. Don't wait for the, for, the, for the enemy to tell you, hey, you didn't really, that God didn't really say that. You just imagine that. That's not really from God. How many know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Immediately and at once. So here's, that's how God uses you. By responding to him at once. Immediately. The next thing you need to understand is this, is that God calls you to be fully and completely devoted to him. Look at this. And they left their nets at once and followed him. They immediately followed him, leaving the boat and their father behind. Here's these four fishermen. Andrew and Peter, I don't know if they owned a boat. They must have owned a boat. But we do know this. They left their nets behind. That's pretty significant. If your livelihood are your nets, you don't just leave them behind. And James and John, they didn't just leave their nets. They left their nets. They left their boat. And they left their dad. Wow. What's going on here, folks? I'll tell you what's going on. Jesus now has become the most important person in their life. 
I'm going to tell you, this is what real Christianity is. It's when you come to the place in your life where you understand the most important thing in your life is Jesus. Not your mother, not your father, not your brothers, your sisters, nobody but Jesus. You say, Pastor Alan, that sounds pretty radical. Exactly, that's my point. It's radical Christianity. And Jesus says, by the way, you know, count the cost. Don't just, don't just jump into this. Think about this. Because if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, it's all or nothing, baby. That's right. That's what I just said. It's all or nothing, baby. <laughs> Jesus wants all of you. Now, here's an amazing thing. So when you and I say, yes, Lord, I'm going to follow you with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, here's the amazing thing. Is that oftentimes God will give you your nets back. Say, yeah, you can keep them. Just, just want to make sure that I'm number one in your life. Yeah, you can have your dad back. Yeah, you can keep him. <laughs> no, I'm just joking. Here, you have your boat back. You can have your livelihood back. Whatever it is. But the, 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 the essence of discipleship is that we put Jesus Christ first in all things and all ways. Amen? This is what it's all about, people. Now, look, at, if this is not your attitude, if this is not your approach to Christianity, if your idea of Christianity is that we just come to church, we do our thing, we light our candle, we put a few bucks in the offering plate, we sing a few songs, go home, then you don't get it at all. To be a follower of Jesus Christ, first and foremost, means that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ where you are prepared to leave it all for Jesus. Hey, there's lots of examples in the scriptures of people who are saying, you know what, I want to follow Jesus, but not quite that much. Remember the rich young ruler came to Jesus and said, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, it's simple. Go get rid of everything you have, get rid of your money, give it all to the poor, and then come follow me. And the rich young ruler said, rich young ruler said Man, you know, that sounds very interesting. I like you and I like what you teach, but I'm not willing to give up my money. And the Bible says that rich young ruler walked away from Jesus very sad. And I'm going to tell you this. Jesus didn't go running after him. Hey, just hang on a minute. Hang on. I'll let you keep some of it. There's no negotiation. It wasn't, let's sit down. Let's have a coffee and a piece of cake and we can talk this over. No. Jesus, if you want to be my disciple, you got to be prepared to give it all up and follow me. See, Pastor Allen, this doesn't sound like a good way to win people to Christ. Here's what you need to understand. That's the price tag. You're saying, Jesus, I'll leave it all, and I'll follow you. Hey, you need to understand that what you have is not yours. God's entrusted it to you. You are a steward of what you have. It's a, you are a steward of what you have to be used for his glory and honor. And every Sunday, we ask people to worship God through their gifts and giving. Give 10% of your income so that we can advance the kingdom of God, so we can do the work that Jesus has called us to do. They left their nets, leaving the boat and their father behind. Are you, have you done that yet? Are you willing to say, Jesus, I am prepared to serve you and follow you, and I'm prepared to do whatever it takes? Here, I want to share with you something else. I shared this with, I touched on this already, about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be what? My witnesses. You will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere. Let's just stop here for a moment and think about this. Because for so many people, they think, well, you know, I haven't got a great high IQ, and I haven't been to Bible school, 
and I haven't taken any courses on evangelism. Here's what you need to know. None of these disciples went to Bible school either. But here's what they did do. They walked with Jesus every day. And this is why we teach in our discipleship process right here in this church. And by discipleship, what I mean is teaching you to follow Jesus. Here's the first thing you have to do if you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ. You need to walk with him every day. You need to be praying. When you pray, you're talking to God. And you need to read your Bible. When you read your Bible, God talks to you. Do you get that? Hey, there's no relationship without communication. And the only way you're going to communicate with God is through prayer and letting God speak to you through his word. These disciples walked with Jesus every day, and guess what? They were prepared then to receive that Holy Spirit and then to go out and change the world. And folks, they changed the world. By year 350 AD, there's over, I think, 35 million Christians. This is what, they're, this is what some of the statistics say. It's, it's staggering. But you see, there's a whole, that early church, that whole generation of believers that understood that they're called to make disciples. They're called to go fishing for people. Hey, if you're still not convinced, you think, Pastor Alan, you know what, I'm, I'm, not, a, I'm not articulate. I, I have a hard time sharing my ideas. Can I just tell you something? You, you are witnesses to Jesus Christ. You are simply telling people what a difference Jesus has made in your life. Now, can I just ask, I think we've got majority here this morning would be Christians, you'd say, yes, I'm a Christ follower. I'm sold out for Christ. I'll do, I will die for Christ. I think that's probably the majority here today. Can I ask you this? Is your life better because you're a Christian? I hear, I like, now I like, I think you'd pretend you're Pentecostal. Is your life better because you are a Christian? That's not bad. I think we need to be Baptists, maybe. Is your life better because you're Christians? Yes! Oh, the Baptists win. <laughs> Folks, that, because you know your life is better because of Jesus Christ, that is what you share with people. Don't try to go into scientific arguments and discuss creationism versus evolution, because you're, frankly, you're not qualified to do it. There might be one or two in this congregation that can do that. The rest of us, we have to just settle for being witnesses. Jesus changed my life. I have a good life because I follow Christ. And nobody can argue with that. You can't use science to, to, to disprove that. You can't, you can't use any argument against your personal experience with Jesus Christ. Your testimony has been empowered by the Holy Spirit to transform this world. That's why Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. And there's no plan B. There's only plan A, and that's that every one of us who calls himself or herself a follower of Jesus Christ gets busy in telling people, what a difference Jesus has made in your life. Hey, wouldn't it be great if everybody here today could win one person to Christ this summer? Yeah, so wouldn't it be neat by September, if you haven't won somebody to Christ, I won't let you in the doors? No, I'm not going to do that. I won't do that to you. Hey, but I want you to start praying. There's somebody that God has placed in your heart that needs to know your Jesus. And it's time for us to take this seriously because Jesus has commanded it. Remember Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to obey my commands. Now let me just share this in closing. 
we had a we had a staff meeting, a staff retreat, and and we were talking about this series and the importance of winning souls for Christ. And we want to, you know, our prayer is that God would make us wise and, and productive, that we would produce the fruit of righteousness, that lives would be transformed. Because folks, quite frankly, I'm not interested in just standing here before the same people every week preaching sermons. If we're not winning people to Christ, then why are we doing this? Jesus has called us. At the beginning of his ministry, you will be fishers of people, and at the close of his ministry, go make disciples. It's the same message. So we understand that this is the most important thing. Proverbs, written by Solomon, says the fruit of of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. I like that. Sounds like fishing, doesn't it? Capturing souls, capturing fish. Hey, look, when, when, look at, when Solomon wrote this, he was not thinking of evangelism, I can guarantee you that. But I believe that God through, this, through the centuries provided Solomon with a prophetic word for us. The mark of wisdom, the mark that the Spirit of God is at work in your life is that you're busy winning souls for Christ. So I said to, the, to our staff, I said, um, hey, you know what, if we're going to be we're going to be leaders that have authority. We have to practice what we preach. I, we can't, as a staff, just stand up and tell everybody, go out there and win souls for Christ, and we'll watch. No, we actually have to be involved in this, too. We've got to be willing to do this. So I said to the staff, I said, how many here are willing to go to, go to the mall with me and go fishing for souls? And I thought maybe one hand would go up, maybe two. Everybody's, let's do it. I said, are you kidding me, really? Yeah, let's do it. And I've told a few other people about it, and they said, well, when you're ready to go, let us know. We'll come with you. It's like, really? Are you kidding me? All it takes is an invitation to go fishing at the mall? You say, Pastor, on how on earth do you go fishing at the mall? Well, I'm glad you asked me that question. Here's what you do. I'm going I'm to share with you the, the very first time I went fishing at the mall. So I, I went to the mall, and I said, God, here I am in this great big sea of people that don't know Christ. So here I am, prepared to fish. Show me what to do. So I just began to pray. I'm walking around, looking around, trying to make eye contact with people. Because when you make eye contact, that's the, that's the first step. And nobody's looking at me. So I said, God, what's going on? I showed up. I'm ready to go. I prayed. I got my, I got my tackle. My fishing rod, I got my Bible, ready, ready, to, ready to do this. I got my four spiritual laws, which is a little track that you can use. And then God just said, sit down on that bench. I sat down on the bench. And I just watched, looked at people, trying to make eye contact, trying to make eye contact. And I'd smile and nod. And I'm sure people were walking by thinking, <laughs> just smiling and nodding at people. And waiting, I'm waiting for the fish. Hey, how many know that you have to sit on the dock with your line in the water and wait? That's what I was doing. I was sitting there. They don't know that I'm sitting there with my line out. It's an invisible line. Okay, it's an invisible fishing rod. But I'm waiting there with my rod out there, my line in the water. And all of a sudden, this guy walks, is walking by. I'm sitting there. He's walking around. Has anybody ever seen Star Trek? Have you ever seen the invisible force field? Of course you can't see the visible force field. 
<laughs> but here's this guy. He's walked along, and it's like he walked into an invisible force field. It was like, boom. We didn't do that. <laughs> so let's shift this this way. He looks over at me, and I looked at him, and I smiled, and I nodded. And then all of a sudden, he just walked over and sat down beside me. And he said, what are you doing here? I said, well, I've been waiting for you. I said, uh, God told me to sit here and wait for you. He started to cry. He said, my wife just died. I got five kids. And I, I, I've been praying and crying out to God. I said, God, if you're real, I need your help. I need you. I said, well, God's heard your prayer, and that's why I'm here. The first thing you need to know is that you need to give God your life and your kids. Just give it all to him. Make him your Lord, your King, your Savior. He said, Where, can we do this right here? I said, yeah, right here. Right on the, right on the bench? Yeah. Do we have to kneel down? No. <laughs> <laughs> so I, together we bowed our heads and I prayed with him. And I said, I'm going to just say a simple prayer. And if, if this is your heart's longing and desire, I just want you to repeat the prayer after me. And there, you, there we are, young kid in his early 20s, father with five kids. The kids weren't there. There's the father crying and after we finished praying he said I feel like the weight of the world has lifted, lifted off my shoulders he says I feel like I've, I've got hope for the first time he says I never had hope like this even when my wife was alive I just feel so amazing so I said to him you know you need a bible and you need to go to church habit number one a daily walk with God habit number two go to church every week so this is what's going to feed you now. This is what's going to make you strong. So I took him to the local Christian bookshop. It's actually just a short walk from the mall. This was in Saskatoon. And the next thing you know, we got him into, uh, into a church. And that church took care of him and his family. And I'd, since then, I've lost track with him. But I believe that I'm going to see him someday in eternity. Someday when I stand before the throne, before Jesus Christ... I'm going to look over my shoulder and it's going to say, there you are. And your kids and their spouses and their grandkids and all the people that came to Christ through your life. I tell you folks, there's nothing in the, in the world like fishing for souls. Would you stand with me, please? Father, thank you that you called us into the supernatural work of advancing your kingdom on this earth. The kingdom of darkness seems so overwhelming. And it just seems at times that we can't make headway. We can't, we can't get ahead. But Father, today we, we acknowledge that the kingdom of light overcomes darkness every single time. The darkness cannot overcome the light. So, Father, we pray that you would send us out from this place as the light, prepared to use us this week 
Father, it would be absolutely amazing if everybody here today brought one person next Sunday to hear about Jesus. God, we want to commit ourselves to you now, thanking you in Jesus' name that you've called us to partner with you in bringing hope to a broken, a dark, broken, and hurting world. God, it overwhelms us the thought that there's no plan B. Plan A is us. We're it. Now give us the grace and the power and the strength to go in partnership with the Holy Spirit and lead people to Jesus. And everyone said it with me? Tell the person beside you, go fishing for souls.